0: the song say sing with me how great is our god will you pray with me right now about how great our god is father uh, we transition from our proclamation and praise to you in singing to the requests of our hearts in prayer because you invite us to come before you christ himself has made access to us possible so, for that, we are so grateful that we now are calling out to you. We are standing before you in the throne room of heaven, asking you to speak to our hearts, to open up our minds of understanding, our hearts of acceptance for the words that you have the Word of God, your Word. The instructions you have for us, Lord, teach us how to live. Teach us how to to love you. Teach us what is good for us. So our Father, you are the everlasting God, you are the powerful God, you are our God. And we thank you that we can gather here in this place and praise you. And now, Father, may the proclamation of your word be delivered with accuracy and with the superintending of the Holy Spirit that you might cause the distractions that so easily come into our minds to be held at bay and that we might have the our minds lasered on the things of God that we might hear from the Holy Spirit and that he might have free reign to examine our lives and make adjustments where they are necessary, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. From what I see around me today, uh, the primary way that people are choosing churches may be putting their families and themselves at risk. used to be a certain safety around uh, a denomination, for instance. But today, the trendy names are kind of replacing denominational disclosure. So we're really not sure what denomination sometimes churches are. You know, the, the cave, the rock, the compass point, the, the place, the meeting place. Not that I have any issue to take with trendy names. If I was intelligent enough, we'd come up with a trendy name for us. Although Calvary's a pretty good name. That's where the most important thing in life ever happened, at Calvary. People don't really care that much about denominations, I think, anymore. How many of you are here because it's a Baptist church? it's not a right or wrong answer you know you can <laughs> but that's kind of what i thought <laughs> not many of you <laughs> and that's kind of the way things are shaping up today what seems to be mattering to most are things like music style kids focus friendships exciting programming Entertaining oratory. Some people say I, I'm here just because I, I like Calvin. He's a nice guy. <laughs> I like the way Steve combs his hair. I wish I had some hair to comb. Some people say, I, I, I just want Jesus. And that sounds good. But then they add, don't push all the theology and doctrine stuff my way. I just want Jesus. It's pretty hard to have Jesus if you don't know who Jesus is, what he wants. Some people say, I just want a place where there's a lot of action. I want to be doing stuff, you know. I don't want to be sitting around learning stuff. I want to be doing stuff. Learning and theology, that kind of stuff, that's really boring. Don't tell me any doctrine stuff. Some people are choosing churches because they feel welcome or it's friendly or the messages make them feel good about themselves. I want to ask the question this morning and I believe God's word will answer it. What did Jesus' apostles have to say about this? About the choosing of a church, about how you uh, choose who to listen to and what they will say. Would you turn in your Bibles with me, please, to 2 Peter? 2 Peter, way near the back of your Bible. We looked at the first chapter of this uh, for a few weeks. I want to dig into the end of it. Under the whole idea of Is it God's speaker made up stories? Taking care to know the difference. The Apostle Paul, by the way, places a warning label underneath the advertisement of every church. He writes to Timothy, to young Timothy, and points out that as Christ's coming again gets closer to reality, the teachings about Jesus will get further from the truth. In Second Timothy chapter three, verse five, he says that, "In these places there'll be a form of godliness, but there'll be a denial of its power, have nothing to do with them." He goes on in chapter four to, to add in verse three and four, "For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn uh, their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We we see this happening all around us. People running around trying to find great numbers of teachers who will say what they want to hear. Paul warns of this. Peter sounded an alarm as well. In the first chapter of the, the second letter, he tells the church, we need to be eager to make sure that, that we are the real thing. He goes on then to describe that if you're going to be the real thing, you, you need to be taught the real thing. You need to be sure that you are being taught the real thing, to be very choosy and picky about uh, what you are being taught and who actually is teaching you what the real thing is. Peter's saying, Don't choose on the basis of your feelings and emotions. They've they've gotten you into trouble your whole life. Because he says in Second Peter chapter two, verse one, There will be false teachers among you. So who is teaching you what the real thing is then? Peter writes this um, in verse 12 of chapter 1. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know I'm soon going to be checking out of this tent. He says, you know, um, I want to make sure before I leave because the outside shell is starting to give away. You feel like that? I'm feeling my age sometimes, you know. That one of these days, this tent is, you know, inside. Are you with me? Inside, I'm, I'm, sometimes I, I think I'm 15. I'm, I walk around, I think, uh, suddenly someone reminds me of my age, and I'm like, what? Can't believe it. Because it says in the word of God that inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. There's no problem with the inside. If you're walking with the Lord, you're like a 14-year-old. I mean, you're, you're ready to go. But on the outside, you know, the, the casing's starting to get a little worn. Peter says, I'm going to be checking out of this tent pretty soon. But I want to leave behind some really vital information to you, some keys to this issue of, of right teaching in the midst of false teaching." All around you. So this morning I want to talk to you about five important tips for knowing the difference between God speak. What God is saying. And man made stuff. Five things. So if your Bibles are open to Second Peter. We have a, a long text to read. And I want to read it. Uh, so uh, here we go. Uh, verse, start at verse 15. I think that's where I left off. Of chapter 1. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, "'This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased.'" We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation That's um, not a real good translation, by the way. It's better stated by one's own interpretation. The word prophet is not there. King James interprets it as one's, and that New American Standard does. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people of old, he's talking about, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. Underline that. That's a beautiful statement. Don't miss that. That's a promise. And to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings or literally to slander glories. Yet even angels, although they they are stronger... And more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning, they seduce the unstable, they are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straightway and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water, and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Let's end there. This is the word of God. And uh, I want to dig in here with you this morning to talk about this. this, Out of this text, I want to share with you, as I said, five important tips for knowing the difference between God speak and man-made stuff. The primary risk today for orthodoxy or orthopraxy, orthodoxy being the word ortho meaning straight, right, true, doxy being teaching, doctrine, orthodoxy, we hear that, the, the, the peril. By the way, that's where they get the idea of orthodontist, right? They make your teeth straight, or right. I'm not sure if there's a spelling mistake. They should be called orthodentists, don't you think? I'm not sure where the dauntist came from. But, but, but they can't spell, but they can fix your teeth. And, and that's, that's a good thing. So ortho, ortho means straight or right. And so we talk about, is that church orthodox? Does it have a orthodox teaching, right? It's, it's straight, right, true. Orthopraxy means the practice. Is it, is it right, true, <laughs> right, straight, practice. I need to get my teeth straightened around. (laughs) The the main risk to these kinds of things today is that that the Word of God comes in a written form, written revelation, which at this point, to this generation that's uh, addicted to dumbed-down visuals, makes it a challenge for them to want to pay attention to the written Word of God. And Not only that, there's a mistrust of absolutes. And the Word of God presents itself as absolutes. Certainly, not to mention the mistrust of ancient absolutes. After all, this is 2010. And then, of course, there's those who are so drawn to doing, drawn to praxis. Don't talk to me about teaching. Don't talk to me about doctrine and disconnecting the the doing. We just want to do Jesus stuff. Don't don't teach us stuff. Let's just do Jesus stuff. But it's disconnected from the teachings of Jesus. That's the relentless generation that we are really finding ourselves in. Relegating the doxy part of the ortho to optional. Uh, would you permit that of your orthodontist? Would you say to him, hey, listen, I, I, I really don't care. Don't, don't bother with the school thing. Don't bother with the, the teachings and all that thing. I, I'm just interested in straight teeth. So just like dig right in there. Go at it. I, I'm just interested in doing. I just want You know, if you, if you, if you a- actually lived your life that way, you'd probably end up with a tooth growing out of your nose. See, that's what would happen. There is this importance of right teaching that will take us to right doing, right living. And and Peter has just finished with his letter, the start of his letter by saying, I I want you to be doing the right things. And then he gets to the second part and he says, oh, but by the way, I want you to be knowing the right things so that you can be doing the right things. Because there are a whole lot of people out there who are going to be telling you the wrong things. A lot of false teachers out there. I think the first tip that, that Peter jumps on here, which I would find in verses sixteen and following of the first part of the first chapter, is he's saying, look for a confident commitment to the origin, authenticity, and importance of the revealed words from God. That's what he says here. We did not, he says in verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't make all this up. This was not some sort of fanciful myth and story that we brought to you. He says, I come to you with a deep conviction as an eyewitness of the events that took place. He says, I I was there when when, um, God revealed the the majesty of Jesus Christ. I was there, he says, on that mountain, on that sacred mountain. I was personally there when God Almighty gave me a preview of the coming of the Lord. I I, I I witnessed the majesty of Jesus Christ. I saw it with my own eyes, he says. Not only that, he says in the text, "I, I heard the voice from heaven. I heard the Father in heaven say, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. As I saw it with my eyes. I, I know about the coming of Christ. I got a movie trailer on this thing, guys. And I heard the voice from heaven. He says, I, I don't necessarily expect you to take my word for it. He says here, and we have, verse 19, the word of God. Of the prophets. This is not something fanciful that I came up with. He says. If you want to check it out. He says. Go, go read your scriptures. The, the coming of Christ. The, the predictions of his work among us. The, 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 the teachings of salvation. The, the promise of the coming of the Lord. The Messiah. The second coming of the Messiah. All of that. Go read the prophets. Go read the scriptures. I. I. Saw it with my own eyes. I, I heard it with my own ears. I, I have read it myself. And nothing that I saw was out of line with what I read. This is a man who stood before them with deep, confident conviction about the origin and the authenticity and the importance of the words of God. You want to know the difference between a false teacher and a, and, and a real teacher? <laughs> A teacher who teaches truth. It's a, a confidence in God's word as it has been delivered. It says, we didn't doctor this thing up. We didn't fancy this thing up. We don't, I don't have a, a, a lack of confidence in these things. God gave us his word on this thing. Now, um, there are some things out there right now that are not all that confident in God's word as it has been delivered. The, uh, what's called the emergent evangelicalism is the latest sheep in the old wolves' clothing of social liberalism. Which is doing all kinds of good things in Jesus' name, but it's not connected necessarily to knowing Jesus. It's the same old stuff, a softening of confidence in everything that God says. Things like, I, well, you know, I know it says in the Bible that uh, those who do not uh, follow the Lord Jesus Christ will go to hell, but I'm not really sure. I, you know what? I'm not sure that I think we ought to buy into that. Um, I'm not really sure that Christ is the only way of salvation. Creation, that God spoke the universe into existence. I don't know. You know, once you start saying, I don't know to that, then you've got to go to the New Testament where the Apostle Paul likens salvation to the creation act of God where God said, let light shine in in the universe and it shone. He says, that's the same as God says, let light shine in your heart. Well, if God can't let light shine into the universe, how am I to believe that God can let light shine into my heart? The problem is, too much of what's going on out there, as one author writes, is offering people more of what they already have, vague spirituality, uncertainty, and borderline interpretive relativism. And so there is this new license for radical, independent interpretation and emphasis that moves away from confidence in the Word of God. And by the way, Peter already anticipated this. Well, you know, Peter, it, it, Peter was already finding it to occur around him. He anticipated this subtle swipe of the enemy. It's not new. If the evil one can't get us to uh, apostatize, if, if he can't get us to t- completely defect, he works on eroding our confidence in the word of God. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden, didn't he? Did God really say? It's it's the age-old deal. Did God really mean what he said? (laughs) Eat of this fruit and you will surely die. Oh, come on. I know that's what it says. And I know it's really the plain reading of the text and... I, I know that's, that's the, the, the most obvious understanding, but did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Which brings us to um, our second tip. In verses 20 and 21 of the first chapter, Peter states it this way. Above all, you must understand that no Prophecy of Scripture came about by one's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The second tip is this look for an interpretation of Scripture that is rarely novel and not privately derived. Theology is not a private exercise, it's not a solo sport, it's not an individualistic discipline. Because the word of God came from God. And so to understand the word of God, the Holy Spirit must teach men the word of God. It came from God. It's been entrusted, by the way, to men, plural. And therefore, it's to be interpreted by men, plural, through the Holy Spirit. It. It's important that you understand that Peter here was very specific. He did not want people to assume that they could have their own individualistic interpretations. What's at stake here? Shipwrecked lives. Drifting aimlessly and. Purposeless darkness. He says, as to a light shining in a dark place, souls bound for eternal damnation, destruction. Do you understand that, that in life it's always cold, code red? Is, is code red the, the biggest deal in a hospital? I don't know. Tell me, is it? Or is there another color? What's the worst color in the hospital? Blue, blue. okay. Glad I asked. Do you know what? It's always cold blue. That's how important the Word of God is in in our lives and the the issues. What's at stake here? It's always code blue. These are not fanciful, interesting stories. and, 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 And let's muse together and have our interesting interpretations. It matters that we get it right. I like what John Piper says. What would we think of the commanders in the armed forces who deployed their troops as though the war were a game and who never paused to ponder that on this or that mission, sons and husbands and fathers will, will be maimed and killed. We would probably call them heartless. How much more then should we regard a pastor or teacher or counselor as heartless who does not pause to ponder That eternal life and death are at stake in preaching and teaching and counseling. It is heartless to give the impression that in the matters of doctrine, faith and obedience, we're playing a game. It is heartless to foster the impression that the most weighty concerns of our preaching and teaching and counseling are the alteration of psychological states and the modification of behavior. If that were our most weighty concern, then preaching would simply be a variety of psychotherapy and Christian doctrine would simply be another means to mental health and the church would be just another institution for the advancement of psychological and social welfare, which by the way, some people want it to be. That is exactly the way more and more people view preaching and doctrine and church, but it is heartless. Because it treats life as though it were a game. When in fact eternal joy in the kingdom of Christ. And eternal misery in hell are at stake. That is our most weighty concern. And that sets the church off as distinct from all other human institutions. The apostle Peter says be very careful. It's always code blue. At issue is being unready for the coming of Jesus Christ. So this thing is not to be privately, cleverly devised. You're not to unravel the problems and the, the, the challenges of the scripture independently. We are all susceptible to say what we want it to say, you know. Or to see what we want to see. I'm just telling you, I don't bring before you on any Sunday something that hasn't been checked and cross-checked and cross-referenced and and thoroughly looked at from a variety of different commentary angles, from from men of God who have built on the faith of men of God, reliable men down through the ages, teachers. It's too important to, to come out here and give some sort of fanciful treatise On on what I think it may say and what I want it to say and what I hope it will say. I I really take seriously the, the bringing before you of what I'm convinced it says. Peter has pointed out that confident commitment to the words from God confidently understood developed for us a confidence in his promises. And when we have a confidence in his promises, it it results in an inflow into our lives of, of the power for change. His divine nature makeover occurs in our life, which causes us to have confidence in our calling, our position in Christ, and ultimately our destiny. Peter says, there will be false teachers among you. The third tip that I want to give you this morning from this text, I believe, comes out of that very verse, verse 1 of chapter 2. Look for teaching that sets you free to serve God and be changed by Him rather than being set loose to leave Him. There is increasing energy from the so-called pulpits of churches for unintentionally or intentionally misrepresenting what it means to be freed by Christ in spite of the many cautions of scripture this is not a new deal in fact in 1 peter chapter 2 verse 16 he himself talks about this when he says this live as free men but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil live as servants of god it says here that there will be false teachers among you, and it says this, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. There's some key linkages here in the words that he chooses to use. Destructive heresies. In other words, cult-like opinions. Destructive of truly trusting in God. Taking away from us our total trust in God. Giving the impression that maybe there's some trust you need to have in yourself. It's subtle, but watch for it. Listen for it. Denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. How do you deny the sovereign Lord who bought you? Uh, You um, live your life as if God isn't in charge. That's how you deny the sovereign Lord. Because he bought you. The whole idea of salvation is that Jesus Christ purchased you out of the slave market of sin, out of your addiction to yourself, that you were bought with a price. Not with silver and gold, right? But with, precious, with his precious blood. He bought you. He redeemed you. That's what the word redemption means. He bought you back out. He has purchased you and owns you. And he is the sovereign God of your life. The destructive heresies that are introduced are... Are, are these ideas and notions that, that um, you really are the master of your own life. You, you really are in charge of your life. A- and you have the right to live without fences. Let's, let's get rid of all the fences and all the boundaries, you know. And let's just be cool with Jesus. It sounds sexy, but it's really dangerous. This freedom that we've been given in Christ isn't license to sin. It isn't a license to live in any way we choose and think, oh, I'll just tell God I'm sorry tomorrow. He has to forgive me, right? That's what it says in the Word of God. He keeps forgiving me. How many times he'll forgive me and forgive me and forgive me? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So it really doesn't matter how I live. The Apostle Paul said, should we go on sinning that grace might more abound? He says, may it never be. You have been saved from that. You've been rescued from what, by nature, you used to want to do. If you have been saved. Because, by the way, Peter's putting a very important reality on this thing. He's really laying it on the line. If you really are the real thing. Who or what owns you? To answer that question, what's dictating how you make decisions, how you live, how you, what you do? Is it money, is it men, or is it Messiah? Fourthly, um, errors in doctrine, by the way, always move on. Notice what happens here. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction's not been sleeping. Listen, look, be very careful. Errors in doctrine, or ignoring doctrine, or downplaying the teachings of God, saying, let's just do Jesus stuff. Uh, It sounds good, but but by the way, it'll result in errors, immorality, which leads to immorality in your life. So fourth tip is look to avoid teaching that sets you up for self-centeredness. What this is all about in false teaching is not putting Christ at the center of your life, it's keeping yourself at the center of your life. That's the fundamental issue. That's what Satan's always been about. Did Jesus really say? Jesus wants you to be, God wants you to be happy, so go ahead, do whatever you want. You're not healthy, you're not happy, you're not rich. calls here shameful ways versus the way of truth. Shameful ways mean loose, sensual living. The opposite of spiritual passion. Why? Why would these false teachers live like that? Because they despise authority. They don't recognize the sovereign ownership of God in their life. They, they, they rebel against the authority. And, and, the, and the big word that, that leaps out at me, why? Because it says they're greedy. Early in the journey of Christianity, people figured out that you could make money off of Jesus. And it has escalated to obscene proportions now. Obscene proportions where TV peddlers of Christianity can haul in $250 million a year. See, they found out early that um, many will follow. If you tell people that, uh, that God wants you to be healthy, happy, and rich, if you tell people that That after all, um, God wants his children to look like royalty because you're children of the king. It's a good career move. Bigger crowds of contented people. Bigger coffers. So you have teachers who intentionally sanitize the self-centeredness of pain relief so it can be the ultimate Christian quest. But is that what Jesus really taught us? Is that what we're supposed to add to our faith, Peter says? As I read here, he says, add goodness and knowledge and self-control, and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. I don't see him adding here that you've got to dress like a king's kid, that you've got to never be in any pain, that you've got to always feel happy, that somehow that you've always got to be healthy. I don't read that. I read that Jesus says he wants us to be rich in spiritual depth. That that God wants us to be rich in self-giving deeds, that God wants us to be joyful in trials and tests, that God wants us to be healthy in our hearts, that that God wants us to, to, um, even when the the tent is breaking down, to to, to love him and and serve him and give give ourselves to him. That's what I read. Because God has advertised his judgment on these things in the past. We've run out of time. But let me just say to you that that God has clearly demonstrated that to the rebellious angels, he threw them in gloomy dungeons. To the sensual self-centered of Noah's age, a flood came. To the San Francisco-ish, Toronto-ish, Sodom and Gomorrah-ish, unbridled, sensual, gender-confused cities. God sent a firestorm. And Peter says, I don't want you to feel like you're deprived, you know, you're out there hurting, you're, you're suffering from pain, you, you, you have great needs. He says, I don't want you to, to, to misunderstand the greatness of your God. He says, your God knows how to rescue righteous people from trials. You don't have to turn to yourself. You don't have to rely on your assets. And we don't have time to get into it, but the fifth tip that you need to pay attention to, and it's pretty obvious, is look carefully at the life of the teacher. He goes on to write that. He says this because um, ultimately, what you really are is what you'll live. A dog. Is a dog. And a dog always goes back to its vomit. And you can clean up a pig. But a pig's going to go back and get dirty all over again. And Peter says if you aren't real. You won't be able to hold the, sh- the charade for very long. it will show up. He says above all to the people of God. Look with your eyes. Pay attention with your ears. Right living comes from right teaching. Make sure you're very discriminatory on who teaches you what is right. Our Father, as we close with this great song of reminder that uh, we are people blessed with the timeless ancient words of our great god ancient because they were true before they are true now timeless because what was right then is right today so father may we may we be very very careful that we listen to those who teach us right words the ancient words the ancient ways so that we can walk in straight ways and right ways. A light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet is the word of God to keep us from stumbling in the darkness all around us until the rising star, our great Christ, returns. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. So, when you're choosing... The place to call the community of faith where you intend for God to work in your life and challenge you from that community. There's nothing wrong with with having some preferences about style. It's really important to have a great kids program where our children are learning the things of God. Those are all important things. It's important that it be a place where you're welcome and a, a place where you can grow together, a place with friendships and community and family and all of that. That's all important. But for me, it is absolutely non negotiable that the place where I am would be a place where God's Word is upheld with confidence and conviction. Because after all, the Word of God was given to us by the Holy Spirit. Not, it wasn't uh, inventions of men, it wasn't the musings of men, it wasn't myths and stories. It was the very word of God. I don't have the authority to tamper with that. We don't have the authority to tamper with that. It matters that we carefully study so we know precisely what God wants of us. At stake is not psychological, social. At stake is eternal destiny. So I pray that that you might find here Teaching that properly represents the sovereign ownership of a God who handed us his word to be delivered back to you, that you might live with orthodoxy and orthopraxy in right alignment. Father, I pray for this people. Lord, there are many things coming at us, a barrage of teachings and options. And there are people running all over, gathering around themselves, many teachers who will say pleasing things to their itchy ears, things they want to hear. And they'll open up their wallet and spend lots of money to be told that that God wants you to be all about yourself. Lord, nothing could be further from the truth. We know that that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to rescue us from ourselves and our sin so that we would know what it is to have the abundant life of Savior Jesus, God, in our lives. That's what we want. So thank you, Father, for being pleased by your grace to give us your word, to teach us your word, to move our hearts to respond to your word. All of that's from you. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.